Would you please join your hearts together with mine in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening which you have given us, and we thank you for the forgiveness which you have made for us through Christ. We pray, Lord, that as we hear your word, that you would remove distractions from our hearts, that you would let us hear your word clearly and plainly, and that you would work by your Spirit as you continue to feed us through Jesus and his word. And in his name we pray, amen. That text in Exodus always surprises me. And it surprises me for a couple of reasons, because it really doesn't quite make sense that that many people would be okay in the presence of God. I mean, as Moses was up there and in his presence, and then God says, go down and tell the people all my words. And then uh, he says, bring up with you 70 of the chief people of Israel and bring up the young ones and bring them up to be in my presence. And that all sounds wonderful, but we have to stop for a second if we start to think of why couldn't Adam and Eve be in God's presence? Well, once they sinned, they couldn't be in God's presence. They were in his presence beforehand, but as soon as sin entered the picture and went from generation to generation and corrupted all of creation, that creation couldn't be in the presence of God anymore because he is perfect and creation at this point was corrupted and men are sinful. So for that many folks to be in God's presence and not be ushered away always catches me off guard. But see, they weren't able to be up there simply by his invitation. There was something that had to happen. A promise had to be made. And it wasn't so much a promise of the people, even though they said, we will listen to every word of yours, God, and we will do everything perfectly, and we will be obedient. And I can just imagine God kind of nodding his head, and he goes, yeah, Okay, so what you're going to have to do, though, is sacrifice some bulls and some other things, and there has to be some bloodshed. And through that order of what God set up at that point, said, look, after this is done, you will be clean to be in my presence. Once a death has happened to give you life, you will be able to be in my presence. And they went up. And I love the last line of that Old Testament text for a second. And it says, God did not lay his hand on them, because none of us could handle that. God did not lay his hand on them, but they ate and drank with him. I know a few of you like food as much as I do. Can you imagine that meal? Food from the hand of God handed out right there in the presence of him when the ground is turned to a clear bluish sapphire and the presence of God in the midst of his people and they're able to eat and drink with him from his own hand, from the hand of the creator of the universe. That would be a beautiful meal right there in his presence. But then the promise, of course, was broken. It was broken by the people. In fact, Almost before Moses couldn't even get down from the mountain with the tablets of all of the law that God had given him. And the people were breaking the commandments at that very moment. And sin continued. It wasn't fixed. Even though they had been saved from the slavery of Egypt. Even though they had been redeemed and named as God's people by his hand. Sin still wreaked havoc on creation. So God made a new work, he did a new thing, he sent his son into the midst of it, 
And we sing about that in the song, right? God being born into the dirt. It's a great image to think of. Again, the creator of the universe being brought into the messiness of creation in order to live and walk in and amongst a sinful creation because he was going to do something about it. We start to ask, what? What is it? The disciples were wrestling with that question as well. And then the night comes where he's already been talking about the crucifixion that's coming up. He's already been talking about the Son of Man and how he has to die. They entered in on Palm Sunday with the triumphal entry and all the great things that were going on. And he keeps telling the disciples, I'm going to be crucified. And they kept saying, yeah, whatever, Jesus, we're going to stop you from that. Peter tried in the garden after the supper and everything. And even before that, they wouldn't quite hear him out on what he was saying. So as this meal enters in and they're coming close to Jerusalem in this feast of the Passover that's coming up, a week-long celebration as they look back on God's redemptive work in times past, right? As they look back on God's redemptive work when the people were in slavery in Egypt and he sends all of the plagues and then he sends the angel of death over to kill the firstborn of every household. He says, but if you believe in my word and trust my promise and the shed blood of the lamb again above your doorpost, your house will be spared. God giving an out from his wrath. God giving a way by his direction again. For his people to be saved. And so this feast of the Passover is to celebrate all of that and remember all of that in how God had worked at that particular time. So as the disciples are coming into this time with Jesus and the town is busy and bustling with people from all over the world, they said, all right, Jesus, when are we going to eat? When's dinner? We got to go get things prepared. The feast needs to be made. We need to put everything in its right order going to have their Seder meal, right? Their Passover meal. So where are we going to have it? And that's their first question. Where, Jesus? I love what they have to follow. It reminds me of like a spy novel or like a fun video game or something. All right, got to walk into the center of town. And when you walk into the center of town, look for a guy who's carrying a jug on his head. And when you find the guy that's carrying a jug on his head, he's going to lead you to the master of a house. And you got to ask him and tell him that the master needs a room. And then he's going to show you an upper room hidden around in a corner. You know, you got to follow all the right clues to get there. But the crazy thing is it happened just as he said. Imagine that. The words of Jesus being true and coming to life in that moment. So they trusted. They went prepared, right? They got the wear taken care of. When? Well, it was evening. The evening of the preparation of the Passover. And then as they're there, Jesus says an odd thing. One of you 12 is going to betray me. In this room, there would be like three of you are going to betray me, okay? Just to put it into context a little bit. Now, if I were to tell you that and say, you know, three of you are going to gang up together and go slash the tires of my car. You'd probably start looking around. You'd be like, wait a minute, who's got the pocket knife in their pocket, right? You know, start looking and wondering, who is it? Who is it that's going to do this? What is going to go on? Who's the one that's going to betray Jesus? And so they start wrestling with that and they start asking, is it me? Is it me? 
different times in life, we may ask that. Have I betrayed you, Lord? I know my words I used hurt this other person. I know the things I've done have hurt somebody. Have I betrayed you enough to not be in your presence anymore? How could you, God, consider me worthy to receive such a beautiful gift and meal? To hear the words that you proclaim that I'm forgiven? How could I be worthy of any of that, God? Let me tell you, on your own, you're not. I'll answer it for you simply and clearly. See, we don't have to trust on our own worthiness in order to receive these things. It's not up to our own worthiness. It's not up to how much we hold on to the promise of God to fulfill our end of the promise. No, it's how much God holds on to us through His promise. So as they ate this meal that has a full meaning to it, as they walk through the Seder meal that has a full meaning, different times at which you break bread, different times at which you drink different cups, each one of those having a meaning. And as they break this bread, they're remembering the fact that God had said, look, prepare your food without yeast. Make it quick so that you can run at a moment's notice. And when they pick up that bread, they remember God's redemptive work for them as He brought them out of slavery of Egypt. And now in that moment, as Jesus would pick up the bread... And he would take it. He said, this bread, this bread that is full of meaning to you, this bread that you know is God's work of redemptive work because this little thing reminds you of all the things that God did, this bread which we break, that's my body. And at that moment, they learned something new. Jesus just filled that meal with a new promise, with a new meaning. Didn't change the meal. But he filled it out. See, because now that redemptive work was not just going to be when they broke the bread once a year, but that redemptive work was going to be what they saw in Jesus as his body was up on the cross. So when we eat this bread, sure, we remember what Jesus did long ago on the cross. But we also remember his promise that his redemptive work continued from that day forward. So what is this? God's promise that your sins are forgiven. So you heard it earlier when I said it. But this I actually get to put in your hands. This is something that you can hold on to for a moment. And it sounds kind of funny, but think of it this way. You get to consume your forgiveness of sins. It becomes part of you. It shapes you. It strengthens you. Not so much like you have an empty stomach and now you're going to be full again. No, but you have an emptiness within your sin and God wipes it away and he says this right here when you receive it in your hands this is my body for the forgiveness of your sins this is my redemptive work of you it's a beautiful thing to hold on to it's a beautiful thing to hear God's promise attached to something so simple and it's a promise for you a promise that he gives to you a promise to sustain you and he did the same thing with the cup. And he brings up a cup. And then as you look at the scriptures, it's the third cup in the meal. And the meaning of that third cup in the meal is, again, redemption. But then our minds start to wonder, wait, what is redemption without something to be redeemed from? If there's redemption from something, then that means the state that I am in right now without that redemption is deserving of 
punishment. And that punishment is God's wrath for our sins. And so as they lift that cup and he takes that cup and gives thanks and says a blessing and he says, this cup, just like you remember the people of Israel being cleansed by the shed blood of the oxen, this cup, this promise, this covenant of redemption, this is my blood. My blood that's shed for you. My blood that is going to cover you. My blood that will go on into eternity to take care of you and to make you right before God. And it's my work and my doing that is going to make you free from your sins. I will redeem you through my shed blood and my broken body. And when we receive that cup, that's what we receive. Jesus has promised once again his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins, his body in its entirety for our redemption. And then we think, what does that have to do down the road? How often should we take it? When, you know, is it too much? Well, let me answer that. Today I get to take communion three times, once in Escondido <laughs> and twice over here, as much as possible. I mean, that is God's promised presence for us in Christ. What is this meal? It's just that little beautiful foretaste of the feast to come in eternity, where the other half of this table is filled with all the saints who have gone before. It's Jesus serving and caring for his people right on the other side as they gather around in that same communion, as they get to receive from the hand of God a meal that lasts into eternity, just like those Israelites up on the mountain got to receive from the hand of God in that moment. We receive God's promised presence in this meal as well, and it's just a little tiny snippet of what things will look like in eternity. But a day of hope. A day where all of God's church will be gathered together in one place around one table. As we are now and we believe it by faith, in that time we will see it with our eyes. God's promise fully realized as he promises to be present with his people. So what is this? This is Christ, truly present for you. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promised presence through your Son. We thank you that you continue to forgive our sins as we continue to turn our eyes away from you throughout our years. Yet, you do not turn your eyes away from us. For you look on us through your Son, Jesus, who has died for us, who has promised his presence in the midst of this meal for the forgiveness of our sins and the strengthening of our faith. And you continually focus us back in upon you. Until that day comes when all things are brought back together, heaven and earth overlaid once again where you are present in and amongst your creation and sin is gone. We pray, Lord, that you would come quickly. Amen.